Well, hey, I am so excited today that we are kicking off this brand new series called My Crazy Family. And I know that you are too. Uh, holidays around the corner. And in fact, a week from Thursday is Thanksgiving. Uh, how many of you are ready? You're ready for Thanksgiving already? See, and none of you, I knew it. We, we're procrastinators. we got to get on this. Uh, but we thought nothing better would be this series uh, to help us with family relationships as we enter into the holiday season. And so right inside of your mess, uh, bulletin should be some message notes. If you want to go ahead and grab those out and do some fill-in-the-blanks, you can do that with your app. You can pull up the notes right on your app and do some fill-in-the-blanks. We also want to say welcome to those of you watching in the parent viewing room. That's a great place to go if you have little ones that get fussy during the service. We would just kindly ask that you take them out the back door and an usher can help you find that room where you can watch the service live with us. Well, hey, as we start this morning, question for you. How many of you have a little crazy in your family? Let me see your hands. How many of you have a little crazy in your family? Now, here, I appreciate your honesty. Here's the thing that I know. Every single family has some crazy in it. And so if you did not raise your hand, That's right, you might just be the crazy ones, right? And if your family were here, they'd be raising their hands, right? So all of us have some crazy in our family. Now my mother, bless her heart, she raised four of us boys. I'm the second oldest. And there are four boys, and as you can imagine, we're three and four years apart. And as you can imagine, there were some classic, classic fights in our home. I mean, it was just a beautiful thing sometimes. And, uh, you know, being the second oldest, you know, obviously, you know, I was very mature and tried to police, you know, the other ones. But I'll never forget one thing that stood out to me one day. I mean, it was just fantastic. Uh, my, my two younger brothers were in an epic fight, and, and my brother, who was just younger than me, had a friend over. And so the two of them were ganging up on my little brother and teased him no end. And what you had to understand about the house we lived in, is that when you came into the foyer, uh, the foyer went into the living room, the living room went into the kitchen, the kitchen went back into the foyer. And so it was this nice circle. So whenever we were fighting each other, we were running in circles trying to get away from each other, you know, and then we'd stop and go the other way, you know, and we'd try to fake each other out and try to get each other, whatever. And so on this particular day, epic fight breaks out. My two younger brothers and the friend that's over, uh, you know, are teasing my little brother. And so he begins to chase them around. He's so mad. He's yelling. He's screaming. And I'm kind of paying attention. I'm in the other room, but not really paying quite attention. And then all of a sudden, it escalated to the point where my youngest brother, he went to the knife drawer and grabbed a steak knife out of the drawer. Now, our steak knives probably should be called more like butter knives because they, they didn't really cut things very well. They were pretty flimsy. But anyway, he had a knife in his hand and all I heard my other brother say was, he has a knife! And that was when I decided I should probably get up and go to the next room and find out what's going on. And sure enough, he is chasing them around with this knife in his hand saying, I'm going to throw this at you. I'm going to throw this at you. And never in a million years did I really think he was going to throw the knife. <clears throat> I was wrong. He threw the knife. And as God is my witness... The friend that was over at our house got it in the back of the calf right there. And it went in a little bit and then it fell right out. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a major battle wound or anything. Um, but I just could not believe that happened. And I don't know if that friend ever came back to our house. I'm not sure. But we had some craziness growing up in our family. And as we've gotten older, I'll tell you what, there's been some holidays where it's been wonderful and peaceful. And there's been holidays where there's been some epic throwdowns, you know, some epic Fights. I mean, everybody has some of this in their family. And I'll tell you what, not to even just mention immediate family and all the baggage that comes with that, but then you add to it like the holidays, right? 
where you've got cousins and you've got grandparents and you've got aunts and uncles and in-laws and outlaws. And everybody's coming together for this holiday gathering. Everybody has their own bit of crazy that they're bringing to the mix. Everybody has their issues. Everybody has their sin. Everybody has their opinions. Everybody has their emotions. And they're all getting together for holidays. And we wonder sometimes why it's difficult to navigate family relationships. It really should be no wonder. On top of that, some of us are coming from traditional families. Others are coming from blended families. Some of you on a second marriage. Some of you raising kids that maybe aren't your own. Uh, Some of you have adopted kids. And so with all of that differences going on, what's the one thing we have in common? Is that we didn't get to pick our families, did we? We didn't get to pick. But do you remember being in middle school and you said to your parents, I want my friend's family. Do you remember that, right? When you were mad at your own parents and your own siblings and there was a couple families that you thought, I want to be a part of that family, right? And in the heat of the moment, you'd be mad at mom and dad, and you'd be like, I hate our family. I just wish I could go be with their family. I mean, their mom and dad are cool. I mean, they get to eat cereal for dinner, and they get to, like, sleep on the couch and watch Jaws even on a school night. I mean, that family is really, really cool. They don't even have to brush their teeth. That's how cool they are, right? And so we think, you know, growing up, maybe there was some of that. You know, we always wanted another family. And why is it that we wanted a different family? Why is that? Because families are difficult, aren't they? Families are difficult. The word father is not an emotionally neutral word. The word mother or sister or brother is not an emotionally neutral word, is it? Uh, cousin, sister-in-law, father-in-law. There's emotions involved with this because there's been joy and there's been pain and there's been craziness and chaos and hurt and misunderstanding. And, and you just run the gamut with all of it, all of that coming together. That adds to the difficulty of this. The other thing that's difficult is that when you open the Bible, you don't find great examples of, of families that really get it right. Right? There's a lot of dysfunction, a lot of brokenness going on in the families that we read about. I mean, think about Adam and Eve, their kids, Cain and Abel. I mean, Cain killed Abel. I mean, we haven't even made it out of the first family. And there's been a murder. I mean, Noah's family was screwed up. I mean, on and on and on, you read about it. I mean, even down to Mary and Joseph. Now, I think, I think you think, well, Mary and Joseph, they could have never done anything wrong. But do you remember the time that they were riding home on the donkey from the temple? Do you remember this? And Mary turned to Joseph and said, have you seen Jesus? No, have you seen Jesus? They left him at the temple, right? What kind of parents are these? And if he was their only child at the time, how do you lose track of one, you know? I mean, for those of us that have multiple kids, we've got an excuse. I've got four children. If I lose one, I still have three that are found, right? I mean, I am batting 750 there. I mean, that, I mean... Take credit for the three that are still alive and found, you know. But, I mean, Mary and Joseph, they lost Jesus. I mean, how does that happen? Uh, it's just, there's lots of dysfunction going on. We don't see great models of it. And so we go, okay, how would Jesus want us to respond to the craziness and especially the crazy conflict that sometimes enters our family relationships? 
And so today we're going to talk about that and how we can win relationally with each other. And so the very first filling in your notes, I've got some good news that will make you feel very normal. As long as there is family, there is going to be conflict. As long as there is family, there is going to be conflict. Everyone say, I'm normal. Right? I mean, if you have conflict, you're pretty normal. But here's the thing about conflict, and you already know this, is that you might win an argument at a courthouse, on a football field, etc. but there is really no winning an argument in a family. Right? Nobody really wins. There are people that tend to lose. And why is this? Because family conflict is different than anywhere else. And because of that, that's why today's principle that we're going to learn is so important. And what's interesting about it is that we'll discover is that there's really only a single source of conflict for all of us. And if everybody in our family would wrap their heads around this one principle, this one idea, it would greatly reduce the tension. It would greatly reduce the conflict. And it would greatly increase the amount of relational grace and love that we could have with each other. And so James, actually the brother of Jesus, is the one who gives us this instruction, which I just love, right? Because I don't know if Jesus teased him or what their relationship was like or whatever. But James, the brother of Jesus, is writing these instructions down more than 2,000 years ago. And you think about this, how incredible. I mean, 2,000 years ago, and these principles are still timeless for us today. And James begins in chapter 4, verse 1, by asking the question that all of us have asked from time to time. And this is what he asked. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Like, what's, what's the cause? I mean, if we were to get to the root of it, what is it? I mean, that's a good question. How many of you think that's a good question, right? What causes it? And if I were a brave person, which I am not, I would ask you to ask the person next to you, what causes fights and quarrels among us, right? Because pretty soon what would happen is between parents and husbands and kids and all that, suddenly all hell would break loose and everybody would be pointing fingers at each other and saying, you are why we have quarrels and fights. I mean, not this crowd, maybe a different crowd, right? I mean, you guys are all too mature and sophisticated for that. But we would. We tend to blame, don't we? We tend to blame. We tend to do the finger pointing. In fact, your next fill in our human nature, when conflict arises, is to blame others. Isn't that true? Our human nature. When conflict pops up, what's your instinct? Deflect, deflect, defend, defend, blame, blame. It's what we do. You see, we fight because my wife won't listen, or we fight because he's insensitive, or he won't do what I'm asking him to do, or she spends all the money, or he's, uh, he won't behave, or they won't behave, or... You know, extended family, their politics are so misguided. I mean, their kids are nuts, or those people are so selfish. I can't believe they're a part of our family. All we do is give and give and give, and they just take and take and take, and on and on and on it goes, right? We all have reasons for it, and we like to blame and point the blame and push the blame to others. And as a result of blaming and conflict, we tend to be unhappy, we tend to be unhappy, but the truth is, your next feeling, as long as you blame others for your unhappiness, you will always be unhappy. As long as you put your happiness in the hands of another person, you will never be happy. Every time you're in someone you're in conflict with and something can't be resolved, 
And it just begins to wreck you on the inside. It's like you're handing them your happiness. And you say to them, as soon as you can figure out this, if, as long as you can do what I'm asking you to do, then I will finally be happy. If you can just figure out your part, then I will be happy. But if I were to ask you, how many of you would want to hand off your happiness to someone that you're in conflict with? There's none of us that would raise our hand. None of us want to do that. But as long as you're in this cycle of if you would stop or if you would start, then I can be happy, you're basically handing off your happiness to them. You're saying, I can't be happy until you do something differently. And that's important. In fact, if I were to ask you, those of you that were unhappy in the room, and you were to raise your hand, chances are it has something to do with family relationships. Would be a big key of why you are unhappy. And you just think to yourself, well, if they would just act differently, well, if they would just treat me differently, well, if they, 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 then I could get my happiness back. But the truth is, is that blaming others does not accomplish anything doesn't accomplish anything. And that's why James asked this question. So what causes the fights and quarrels among you? And then he gives us an answer. He answers his own question. And I'm going to tell you right now, just up front, you aren't going to like his answer. But this is what we're going to talk about today. So verse 1, he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires? That battle within you? Ouch. James, James. I mean, I appreciate your brother Jesus and everything, but it doesn't mean you know everything. But I just want you to know, it is because of them that we are fighting. It has nothing to do with me. James says, what causes the fights and quarrels? Isn't it true that there are desires within you and are battling See, James says, your next villain, that your crazy fights happen because of something inside of you. Something inside of you. No, 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 no. I want to believe that our fights happen because of something inside of them. But what James is trying to help us understand is that there is something and desires in us that are spilling out of us onto people around us. That down deep there's some conflict going on inside of us that is causing conflict with those around us. James says that it always actually begins with something inside of you. And then he continues, verse 2. He says, you desire, but you do not have, so you, what's that word? What's that word? Kill. You have desires that aren't getting met. And so you kill. Now, James isn't saying that you actually kill someone. But he's saying when you're in that conflict and you're not getting what you want, you end up killing the relationships around you. He's saying, your next feeling, that you are willing to hurt the people you love the most to get what you want. We tend to do this. We hurt the people that are closest to us. To get what we want. And some of you have seen this. You've seen parents kill their relationship with their kids because their kids wouldn't do what they wanted them to do. Some of you have watched firsthand parents kill their own marriage because their spouse wouldn't do what they wanted them to do. 
And if you were to interview each person, it would always boil down to the fact that there was something they wanted the other person to do, the way that wanted the other person to behave or to be. And because they couldn't get what they wanted, they killed the relationship. We've seen people kill their relationships with extended family because of a fight, because of hurtful words, prideful stances, grudges we've held on to. And truth be told, some of you are in the process of killing those relationships right now. So what do we do with that? What do we do with it? Your next villain, you see, why do you hurt the people closest to you? James would say the answer is because they are closest to you. And there's something going on on the inside of you. The people that are closest to us, isn't it true that we want something from them? We want things like respect from them. We want reciprocation from them. We want acknowledgement from them. We want appreciation from them. We want them to act like civil human beings, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that we want from those around us. The list goes on and on. And yet the whole time that we're fighting, sending the texts, talking behind their backs, uninviting them from the next family function, you say to yourself, it's them, it's them, it's them, it's them. And James would say, hold on. There might be part in them, but really there's something in you, in you, in you that needs to get dealt with first. I mean, could you imagine if everybody in our family could wrap their heads around this one idea. That the reason there's fights and the reason that we're quarreling with each other is that there's a desire in me that's not getting met. There's something inside of me. I gotta start there, not with them. See, then he goes on in verse two. James says, you covet, but you cannot get what you want And so you quarrel and fight. There are things that you want in those family relationships. You have a a picture-perfect idea of how the holidays should go or how the relationships between your spouse or your kids should go. And when we don't get what we want, it turns into quarrels and fight. So James would say, it would be wise for us to say, in the middle of a quarrel, in the middle of a fight, as it begins to escalate, hey, hey, you know what part of the problem is here? Part of the problem is that I'm not getting what I want. And it doesn't just begin with you, it actually begins with me. Part of the reason that I'm upset at you is that I'm not getting what I want. Come on, let's just be honest about this. James is saying, let's be honest and real with yourself. That part of the reason you're so worked up, part of the reason you've held on to that grudge is because there's something inside of you that has not gotten met. And you're trying to squeeze it out of that other person. And immediately when you do that, you would begin to diffuse the family conflict. So in the conflict, this is what we're going to say, your next villain. You know what part of the problem is here? I'm not getting what I You know what part of the problem is here? I'm not getting 
what I want. Can we practice this all together? Ready? Let's say this out loud. You know what part of the problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. Come on, let's all say it together, even if you in the back. You know what part of the problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. And there's some of you right now that you're thinking, oh, man, I wish so bad my wife was here to hear this. Or I wish so bad my brother-in-law was here to hear this. And James would say, there you go again, thinking it's them, it's them, it's them. And it's instead, come on, it's you. You know what part of the problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. It starts somewhere in me. It's not just their issue. It's actually mine. Now, if I can, you know, be vulnerable for a moment, you know, my wife, Tara, and I, I feel like typically when we fight, it's over stupid things, and I don't know how you and your people fight, but, you know, for us, a lot of it is it's over stupid things, and we are both stubborn people, and I don't know if you are stubborn and you married somebody stubborn, but it doesn't always work well in fights, right? When you're having a disagreement, I just want to be right, right? I don't even care what, like, 10 minutes ago, I even forgot what we're fighting about. I just want to be right, and I want you to be wrong. Has anyone else ever had this experience, Right? And so one of the common things that we have fought about over our years of marriage is how, what is the fastest way to get to her parents' house? They live in the far part of Maple Grove. And I always like to take the freeway because there's no traffic, there's no lights, right? You just take the freeway. And she loves back roads. She's always been a back roads person. She loves the view. She likes to go slow. She doesn't want to be on danger, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so when we get in the car together to go to her parents' house and I'm driving, I will start going the freeway way. And she will inevitably say, where are you going? And I'll say, well, what do you mean where am I going? I'm going to your parents' house. Well, this is twice as long. Why don't we go the other way? You do this every time. And I'm like, well, that's because it is the fastest way to get to your parents' house. I mean, if we have fought over this no less than 20 times, I promise you I'm not exaggerating. We have had this discussion so many times. And so one day we were at her parents' house and we had driven separate. And we were getting ready to leave. And I said to her, I'll see you at home. And both of us in that moment knew what that meant. (laughs) And so she got in her car, I got in my car, and we both went our separate directions. And we were going to discover once and for all who is right. Because at the end of the day, isn't that we want? We just want to be right. We just want to be right. And she may have happened to get home before me, but we're not talking about that right now, all right? (laughs) We're not going to go there. We're not going to talk about it. (sighs) But you see, in a family, or in a marriage, you know this, there's no winners and losers. Either we both win or we both lose. That's how it is in family relationships. And sometimes we are so stubborn. We just want to be right. But can I tell you what? Humility works in dividends. Humility in a relationship, in any family relationship, is so important. I'll never forget if we were, my kids were young. I mean, one and two, our boys were real young. And we were going to repaint our bedroom. And, and I had set the can of paint on the carpet to go get some more things. And my wife was in the bathroom getting ready, and they were crawling. And I came back into the room, and we had a gallon of red paint all over our tan carpet. And immediately, what did I say? Why weren't you watching them? And she says, why would you leave a paint can open sitting on the floor? Right? In that moment, it's like, oh, you know what? 
you're right. I should not have left a can of paint open. And instantly, she's like, and I suppose I should have, I should have watched him better. Isn't that amazing how humility works? How the moment someone begins to say, you know what part of the problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. I've got something I need to own here. It's amazing how the relationship, the tension in that relationship instantly begins to change. You see, as soon as you own part of the problem, your next villain, as soon as you own part of the problem, the temperature level of your conflict decreases. All of a sudden, when you own part of the problem, everything comes down a few notches. Have you ever noticed that? If you've ever been in a disagreement, if you've ever been in a fight, the moment one person leans in to say, I'm sorry, the other person suddenly leans in. The moment one person says, you know what, ah, it's my fault, I shouldn't have done that. Instantly, the other person. But as long as you just want to be right, as long as you just want to hold on and be stubborn, the fights escalate and escalate and escalate. On and on and on. Grudges are held. But here's the truth. The reason why we want to be stubborn and the reason why that we don't want to say sorry, the reason why we don't want to say, you know what part of the problem is here, I'm not getting what I want. You know why? Because the moment you take part of the blame, you lose your leverage. And in a fight, all you have is leverage. And while we would say we we don't want to lose our vantage point, we don't want to lose the high ground, we don't want to lose our leverage, James would say this is the whole idea. To lose your leverage every single time. To humble yourself. To own part of the problem. And why he would say, your next villain, the best defense in a family is no defense. Take part of the blame right away every time. Take part of the blame right away every time. You know this is true. In every single conflict, isn't there a small thing that you can own up to? In every single conflict, isn't there a small part of that problem that you can own? Just like with a paint can. Well, yeah, she probably should have been watching it, but if I had never put the paint can there in the first place and walked away, it wouldn't have happened. What's the part that you get to own? See, if you'll do this in your family and own part of the issue out of the gate, you will learn to diffuse conflict across the board. Now, I know there's some objections. I can see it in some of your faces. <laughs> I mean, Ryan, this sounds good and everything. We should own it and know what part of the problem is. I'm not getting what I want. But Ryan, you don't know my family. You've never been over for Christmas dinner. Ryan, you don't understand what they promised would happen this holiday. You don't understand what he promised or she promised. In other words... It's the same as saying, I want you to keep your promise, and I'm not getting what I want. But Ryan, if you knew how selfish they were, it's the same as saying, you know what, I want them to do their fair share. I wish they'd show more appreciation in what I'm doing. And I'm not getting what I want. You see, in every difficult situation, at least part of the problem is that I'm not getting a desire met that I have inside of me. 
And I'm not saying it's all the problem or that there aren't issues to be addressed. In fact, in week three of this series, we're going to talk about how we set up healthy boundaries with toxic people, even toxic family members. How do we do that? Because there is a time and place. But James would say, hey, let's begin here first with what's happening on the inside of us to understand that this is the root of every single problem. And then, as if all of that wasn't enough, James adds insult to injury. And he continues in verse 2. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. James saying, you know all those desires in you that's causing the conflict? Those things aren't getting met because you haven't even stopped to ask your heavenly Father for help. Because here's what's so interesting, is that you and I cannot change a human heart. But God can. And James says, when you face these kinds of quarrels and fights and conflicts, have you ever stopped to consider, before firing off that nasty text or email, before uninviting a family member, James would say, have you ever stopped to consider asking God for his help? He'd say, God, I just, I want so badly for my wife to respect me more. Or my husband to respect me more. I want my son to do better in school. God, I want my in-laws to not drink so much. I just want them to not act so crazy. God, I want my daughter to break up with that dude, that idiot of a guy. And I know you made him and maybe you were distracted on that one. But God, I just need him to break up. God, I want my sister or my brother to not be so selfish. God, I want my parents to not be so opinionated. And it just leads to fights and quarrels. James would say, have you ever stopped to consider asking your heavenly father for help? To pour your heart out to God first, to tell him what it is that you want and aren't getting. And if we were to be asked that question, we'd probably say in the heat of the moment, no, because I'm so mad. I'm in no condition to pray right now. Maybe that's the best time to stop and pray to take some steps away and say, God, would you help me with this conflict? You see, prayer, your next fill in prayer should be your first step before any resolution with a family member. And that's what we're going to talk about next week is all about resolution and reconciliation. But prayer is always the first step. So you bring God into the mix. And you ask him to prepare your heart and acknowledge the part of the problem that you can own. God, part of the problem is here. I'm not getting what I want. And I know deep down inside, there's something in me that's not getting what it wants. So would you help me in that? And then James goes on to say in verse 3, he finishes it up this way. He says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. In other words, James is saying when you're facing these quarrels and fights and even when you go to your heavenly father, is your prayer a prayer of reconciliation? Is your prayer a prayer of peace? Or is it just to get your way? See, when you begin to ask God to change us first, then things begin to change in your relationship. The relationships in your family begin to adjust and the tension is different. 
Everything comes way down. When you can just say, you know what part of the problem is? I'm not getting what I want. And God, I'm asking you to deal with that in me first before I go and deal with them. So let me ask you this sobering question as we wrap up today, and it's this. Who is suffering in your family because you aren't getting your way? Who is suffering suffering in your family because you aren't getting your way? Because the holidays are right around the corner. Have you taken this stuff to God? Can you own your part? In fact, what could you do today through an email, through a text, through a phone call that could change the tenor and tone of the holidays before you ever say hello at the doorstep? Is there any part of conflict or tension that you can own and just lead with and say, hey, I just wanted to reach out and just say I'm sorry because I felt like back then I did something I shouldn't. I said something I should Imagine if every family member could begin to do this and lead with humility and not take the high ground and have leverage to say, God, change me first. Change those desires in me. Change it in them so that we can have peace and we can enjoy relationship with each other. Do you know what causes fights and quarrels among you? There's something you want that you're not getting. And James says we'd be wise to deal with that part first before we go and talk to them. That we can diffuse the craziness if we will own our part and take it all to God before taking it to them. And so your last fill in diffusing family conflict and craziness begins with who? With who? With who? With me. Fusing that family conflict and craziness begins with me. You know what part of the problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I know that relationships are difficult, especially family ones. Places we didn't have choices in the matter, but suddenly we're expected to do life together. God, we readily admit there are so many times that conflict has gotten the best of us in our relationships. And we're asking you to help us own this idea that it begins with us. To bring our desires and our wants to you and to fully examine those things before ever approaching a family member. Would you remind us of your great grace and love towards us? And in that remembrance, would you cause there to be humility in us? Not blaming or pointing fingers, not taking the high ground, not needing to just be right. But God, in humility, would you help us to own our part of the problem? so there can be reconciliation and peace. God, we need this, and we want it so badly. And so God, give us the courage with what we've just heard to do something about it, 
take in these words and to make a phone call, to shoot a text, to set up a coffee, and to begin by owning our part. And in it you're pleased, and in it you're glorified. As you've instructed us, as much as it relies on us, live at peace with all men. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name.